Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Everybody's chatting while you find your seats. We'll get this morning started. It's good to have you here. So we're glad that you are joining us this morning. It's a choice to be in the house of the Lord, and I am expectant of him really ministering and moving among us and us feeling his presence this morning. So um, we're going to jump right into worship. Will you go ahead and stand with me as we pray together and just welcome Holy Spirit to move among us? Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much this morning for who you are to us and who you are for us. And God, I thank you that your desire is to dwell in the praises of your people because we adore you and we love you. And God, I thank you that our love comes from a response because we've first been loved by you. Would you pour out your great love for us in hearts this morning? God, would we know you? Um, Lord, I just love that you know me better than anybody else, Lord. And I know that you love me more than anybody else. And so God, this morning... We thank you for all that you want to do among us, Lord. God, I I thank you, Lord, that this morning you want to speak tenderly, Lord, to those who need tender whispers, Lord, this morning. You want to encourage, Lord. You want to strengthen the weak places this morning. God, thank you that you abide with us, Lord. God, you abide with us, Lord. It's no longer a visitation like the old covenant, Lord, where you would come and go among people, Lord. But God, you live inside of us, Lord, and you want to make yourself known among us, Lord, to love deeply from the heart, Lord, one another, God. So, Lord, we just thank you for that. Lord, we pray for those who are sick this morning in our body. Lord, we declare healing over them in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that for those who are weakened, Lord God, that find themselves in the hard places, Lord, that you are the one who has declared that you will not allow their foot to stumble, Lord, that you shore up the weak places, Lord. God, I thank you for that, Lord. This morning, we speak to our soul and say, come alive and worship the King of kings, the King of glory, because he is worthy. Lord, we bless you and we honor you. Come and move among us, Holy Spirit. You are so welcome. You are so longed for to reveal the truth of the Father's heart over us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together, y'all.
Let him turn it in your favor. Watch him work it for your good. He's not done with what he started. He's not done until it's good. Let him turn it in your favor. Watch him work it for you. He's not done with what he started. He's not done until it's good.
this is not my story. You are, you are it. Heartbreak is not my home. You are, you are Jesus. Death is not the end. You are, you are it. Here is not my future. You are, you are it. Sickness is not my story. this morning that fear is not your future sickness is not your future death is not the end I am very aware and very keenly aware this past week that there are people in this room who are facing the first holidays without loved ones I want to tell you that we live with a hope that we will be with loved ones again sing this song as a declaration that heartbreak and the that that's not the end of the story. I know that Jesus comforts us right where we are because he is the God of all comfort. It's who he is. But this morning, can you sing with a declaration this song that it's not the end where you have found or what you've experienced or where your circumstance might be right now. It's not the end. We're going to go back into that and we're going to sing it, y'all. Let's sing it together with every part of our spirit, every part of our being this morning in a fullness of believing that this is who God is for us, that fear is not the future, that sickness is not my story, heartbreak's not my home, death is not the end. Jesus is all-encompassing of who we, what we need in every circumstance in this life. And the Bible says that He has given me all things according to life and godliness in this life. Not just when I get to heaven, but here right now that He's with me in the middle of my circumstance and where I find myself this morning. He is the God who is for you. So let's worship this morning. Amen. If you're able to stand, stand. If you're able to worship and raise your hands up, raise your hands this morning and trust and believe who God is for you. Fear is not my future. You are, you are Sing this is not my story. You are, you are. Heartbreak is not my home. You are, you are we were worshiping, um, 
I saw a dead tree, just a dead tree with dark, white branches. And life started growing, leaves. Um, it was gorgeous. And this tree turned to gold. And so um, I keep hearing life and life abundantly. this scripture over us this morning. It's in Psalms 1. It's very familiar. It says this. 
Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. So, Father, I just thank you this morning that we abide in you, we dwell in you, that you are the vine and we are the branches. And, Lord, connected to you, Lord, even in the hardest of seasons, Lord, we bear fruit. Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, thank you that we bear fruit being connected to you. And our leaves do not wither. They do not dry up, Lord. Thank you that your glory lives in us, Lord. Thank you that we live and move and breathe and have our being in you. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we are planted by a river of life, Lord. It is a river of life. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your kindness towards us this morning. We bless your name, Jesus. Thank you that you are our future, Lord. You are. Thank you for that, Jesus. We worship you. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. If you're a guest with us this morning, we're so glad that you are joining us. If you're watching online, we're glad that you're watching along with us as well. And um, we'd love for you to go to the connection card, click on new here. Someone from our team would love to connect and get to know a little bit more about you and um, to see how you fit into the story of DCF. Um, Ladies, if you, um, how many of you have been a part of our Ladies Christmas Ornament Exchange in the past before? Um, It is one of my favorite times of the year, and so um, I know it's your favorite as well. Mark your calendar for December the 3rd. At 4.30 in the afternoon, um, it's going to be at the Palmer's home, and all the details will um, be in the newsletter. And if you need details, just let me know. They just live out 84 West. Um, This week is Thanksgiving Day on Thursday. We want to make sure everyone is connected into family or community or extended family, and um, you're not alone. The Bible says that God sets the lonely in family. So this holiday season, you don't have permission to be by yourself. How's that sound? So you got to be with somebody. Find out what people are doing. Bring people into family, okay? Um, and also, um, we normally serve with love and action on Thanksgiving Day, but they are remodeling their kitchen. So this year, we are not going to be. A- they are not able to do that. But um, there are other places that do on Thanksgiving Day. There is the harbor. There's the Dothan Rescue Mission. There are plenty of locations to serve. Grab some friends or grab someone, serve in the morning, and then enjoy your um, lunch in the afternoon. So and we love being a part of supporting what's happening in our city locally. And, um, you know, last week, or two weeks ago, sorry, Dave actually talked about um, giving and the importance of giving and why we give. So as believers, we have the DNA of our Father, and He is a giver. He's generous. And he talked about how, you know, if you haven't been giving anything, start to give. If you are a regular giver, you know, what does it look like to give, to give more? You know, what does it look like if you're a generous giver? Give sacrificially. So for this morning, we are so thankful for the generosity of this house. And um, I often say there's nothing glamorous or sexy about keeping the lights on, but it's our place that we manage and take care of as a family together. So um, 
But and it also allows us to have a place where people's lives are transformed by the gospel of grace and by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit working in us. So thanks this morning for your giving and your generosity. We're very thankful for that. We are going to dismiss our kids and our youth this morning. And um, for our kids and our young people, we are going to be doing on the 17th of December, we're going to be doing some Christmas songs in the main service with our young people. And if you want to be a part of that or if you want your kids to be a part of that, be sure and check with your teachers um, and they will have information for you, okay? And it's mostly practicing at home and then being able to practice on the Sundays when we're here together. Dave's going to be right back with a message for us, you guys. All right. Good morning, everybody. I'm not sure what Pat and Lawrence did to all of you guys over here, but I feel like they're, <laughs> they're holding down the fort on this side. You ever been to a wedding and like this is this? this <laughs> I know, I know. It's, it's, it's sad, but anyway. Hey, before I, I jump into my message this morning, uh, if you will, just turn your attention to the screen. I just have something quick to show you. starting a new series uh, starting next week, um, and this is a time, I'm sure you guys have noticed this, but uh, a lot of things are really challenging in the world today. Um, there's a phrase you see um, talking about the end times, it says, it says wars and rumors of wars, and I don't know if you've noticed, but that's a pretty big deal that's happening right now. So there's a lot of unrest, a lot of just uh, fear, I mean, we're just seeing so much of that happen. Um, seems like there's a lot of despair in the world right now. And so this is an opportunity to invite someone to be a part of not just the, the good feeling of Christmas, which I love that, the nostalgia of Christmas, all the memories of Christmas. Those are wonderful things. But it's also a message that a Savior has been born, and it changes everything. So uh, to use a phrase you hear often in, in modern church, invest and invite. Invest in people, connect with people who maybe don't know the Lord, build friendships with those people. If it's a neighbor you've been praying for or thinking about, it's a family member, um, just invite them. It's amazing how quickly sometimes, especially during Christmas and Easter, um, especially we allow our culture to kind of work for us. And so uh, people are willing to attend a service, especially if you invite them, say, come sit with me so that they don't feel quite so alone because it's a really challenging thing to, you know, attend a service for the first time if you've never been there. So invest in people, invite them, and we're going to see God do some amazing things this holiday season. So I want to finish up a series. Um, it, this is probably one of the shortest series I've ever done. It's two messages. <laughs> um, but it's a, it's a series called Unselfish Yourself. And I'm quite proud of that title, just so you know. I really like the idea of, of this, this concept of recognizing, even if as, as believers, there might be some areas where we are still holding on 
to self in ways that are not helpful and not healthy. And so the challenge so often in our world is we're told that, you know, you have to be selfless, you have to be selfless, you have to be selfless, and those things are true. Um, But starting from last week, talking about getting the order right, loving God first, not your neighbor second, but yourself second. And, and when you love God, then yourself, and then your neighbor, you get it in the right order. Um, the unconditional love that you find in God becomes a, available to yourself. You can accept, you can forgive yourself, you can walk in wholeness and health. And then when, you, when you're doing that, it's very easy to turn that toward the world and love on people that are sometimes unlovable. So I want to I talk today about something that's really interesting. I've got several scriptures I'm going to share with you. But let me start with... a. Um, an article, I read this article recently, it's an article on neuroscience, neuroscience and psychology, and it's entitled, Too Much Information, Too Little Time. So this was written in 2017, and it, and it says this, it says, the average person living today, remember this is 2017, so several years ago, the average person living today process, processes as much as 74 gigabytes of information per day through devices, through media, through uh, billboards and all kinds of other ways. Um, that's actually as much as watching 16 movies in a day. <laughs> now, I've had some days off where, like, you know, watch The Lord of the Rings and it feels like 16 movies, but 16 movies, that's a lot of media to be taken in. And, and scientists tell us that the average person in the average day in 2017 is taking in that much information. Um, it's 5% more over each year. And so some, some scientists believe that it's not just gaining by 5%, but it's gaining even more so, like 6 and 7 and 8% each successive year. So how does that figure into just maybe a couple hundred years ago? 74 gigabytes of information would be what a highly educated person consumed in a lifetime. So think about that for a second. We consume it in a day, and you know, just several hundred years ago, that person consumed 74 gigabytes of information in their entire lifetime if they were highly educated. And again, it's more so, it's probably closer to 100 to 150 gigabytes now. So how do we do that? Scientists tell us that the way we handle this kind of information is through, um, it's a phrase called selective attention. Now, my wife accuses me of having that sometimes, but I wasn't paying attention when she said it, so I can't tell you exactly what she said, but <laughs> I can pick on her now. She's actually in the room. Um, <laughs> but the challenge is, is what, what we do is selective attention. Just you ever get distracted? Like you're driving, you're driving home from work, and you get home, and you're like, I don't even remember that trip. Anybody ever done that? That's selective attention. Like your 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 brain is focusing on the things that are necessary, but you're distracted, and it's real easy to miss things if you get distracted. And so the challenge with that is, if you try to focus on everything, guess what happens? You focus on Nothing, right? So we kind of know that. So the way you deal with that, uh, way we deal with that is, is we have to be intentional. That's why I like study time. You have to study. You have to focus. If you're memorizing something, you have to memorize. You know, if you're watching a movie, my, my wife has the, the, uh, the ability to watch a movie, and then just a few weeks later, we could watch the same movie again. And she's like, oh, I love this movie. I forgot what happened here. <laughs> I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> but I don't have that ability. I can remember what happened in the movie, so I can't watch it again very quickly. But the, the challenge is, again, is if we don't do this well, um, what happens is we, we become, uh, all the information begins to revolve around us because we're, we're the ones taking in all the information. So what happens is without intentionality, our self, self, that self part of us becomes paramount. We become the center of our own world. All the information is happening around us. And so what happens is we begin to think without thinking about it that we're the most important thing in the room. 
right? And so um, turns into narcissism really easy. So what's the antidote for that? God has an antidote for that, and it's called thankfulness. So as we go into Thanksgiving, I want to just talk about that a little bit. But let me, let me share what Scripture actually says about being thankful. It's Colossians 2, 7. And this is, the, all of these are going to be out of Colossians and, and Ephesians. There's way more scriptures, but these in particular. Colossians 2, 7, rooted and built up in him, that's Jesus, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. That's the NIV. Another version says, abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding. That's, that's not a word we use very often anymore, but abounding just means literally overflowing. There's so much that we can't contain it. Like, we should be so thankful that people are like, you know, you're too thankful. I think maybe you need to curb that, right? <laughs> That's never going to happen, but it would be nice. So we as believers are, are challenged through Scripture to abound in thanksgiving. This is what it says in Colossians 3.15. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. We all know that particular Scripture. To which indeed you were called in one body. And then it says, and be thankful. So let the peace of God rule in your heart and be thankful. Right? It's not just enough to have the peace of God, but to be thankful along with it. And then Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So it ties being thankful into how we pray. Um, Ephesians 5.4 talks about some of the behaviors in our life. It says, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So don't do these things, but make sure this is intentionally in your life, that you are always thanksgiving. Or always giving thanks. Ephesians 5.20, always giving thanks for all things. That's an interesting scripture. We're going to get in that in just a second. It's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God. In other words, being thankful, something about being thankful in prayer, something about recognizing that it's real easy to be a grumbler and a complainer, but it's, you have to be really intentional to be a person who is thankful, right? Something that we have to learn to do. So th 1 Thessalonians 5.16 goes after that in all things kind of uh, concept. And it says this, it says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Now, I, I, you can see me, I'm always praying. Like, so if you ever see me driving down the road and I got my eyes closed, my hands up like that, I'm just being obedient to scripture. And you should probably do the same thing too. Just trust the Lord, let Jesus take the wheel, right? <laughs> we, so we know it doesn't mean that, right? So when it says pray always, what is it talking about? In all th three of these particular commands, because the next one says, in everything give thanks. In everything, give thanks. That's difficult, and you cannot do that if you're not a believer. You just can't, and we're going to talk about why. So remember, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Why? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God's will for you is to rejoice always, right? To pray without ceasing, and in everything, give thanks. Not just at Thanksgiving, <laughs> but in everything, give thanks. So what's really interesting, these three verses have been called by some the standing orders of the church. Like if you get these right, everything will fall in, into, or, into order. And so you've heard me talk about imperative and indicative in the original language. So an imperative is, uh, it's a command, especially when you get into the New, T New Testament, right? We have the Old Testament, all of these commands, we, we know this to be true. God gave these commands to show his own perfection and to show you that you could not do it without a change of heart, right? So you try as you must. I'm going to live the Ten Commandments. The people of Israel, when the, when the commandments were read, all 613 or so of them, when they were read, they cried out in all kinds of arrogance, we will do everything that you've said. And that day, they didn't, <laughs> right? And that's kind of the whole point of the law was to show us that we need someone to help us be like God. We cannot do it without him. So there, we have a broken heart. 
But it goes after this in an imperative. And in the New Testament, you never get an imperative without an indicative. And so an indicative is you've been given the power to do this. So God says, rejoice always. Why? Because in Christ, you can. Right? Pray without ceasing. Why? Because in Christ, you can. In everything, give thanks. How can you do that? In everything, in sickness, in brokenness, in the world, as rumors and wars and all these things are happening, and I'm struggling in my finances and I have my relationship with my kids and my marriage. What? In everything, give thanks. How can you do that? How can God command us to do that unless he's given us the power to make that happen? And the answer is, is in the last part. He says, for it, this is God's will for you in Christ. So the only way you can do that is in Christ. So it's interesting how when, when we look at this scripture, though, so often we say, well, we should, we should say, God, I, I'm, I'm thankful for this sickness. Right? Anybody ever heard that? Ever, you ever said that? I'm thankful for this brokenness. I'm thankful for this, you know, the challenge of my family. I'm thankful for all these things. And you, and you start thanking God for all the negative things. And the Bible is really clear about that. That's not what it says to do. So I want to untangle this a bit. And, and talk about how do we do this thankfulness thing that we're commanded to do, but how do we do it biblically so it has benefits for you and I? God doesn't, he doesn't command us to do something because he's just, you know, he's up in heaven and he's like really mad because you're not doing things his way, right? If you think of God that way as a narcissist, it's probably because you're a narcissist, <laughs> right? Because we tend to paint the picture of God how we are rather than recognize that we can be like God, even though he's Altogether, Scripture says, not like you and I. We can be like him, but he's not like us. So he gets to define who he is. So let's untangle it uh, uh, just a bit. So it says it's God's will for us. He has a reason for commanding us to give thanks. It's fitting to give thanks because he's worthy. And secondly, it's fitting to give thanks because it's beneficial for you. And we're going to get into that. So uh, we sang that song this morning, um, You're Not Done Until It's Good. Y'all remember that? We're singing that out loud. You're saying it with your lips, but do you believe it, right? If you're in the midst of the challenge, one of the biggest challenges is to thank God in the midst of the challenge, to believe that God is good even when circumstances are telling me that he's not. So how do you thank God in the circumstances? And that's what this scripture goes after. It says that you thank God in the circumstances or in all things, not for all things, right? We, we make this mistake even in scripture and we forget that the Bible, all of the Bible is written for us. Not all of the Bible is written to us. So why is that helpful? Because we don't understand that. We'll read passages of Scripture where the devil's talking, and somehow we will, will acknowledge, well, it's Scripture, so it's, it's to me. We'll read the Old Testament, living in the New Testament, and think that the whole Old Testament is written to me, that I'm still under the Old Covenant, when clearly there's a New Covenant that, that has... Uh, supersedes the old covenant. doesn't mean that this is wrong. It means it's fulfilled. But if we read out of the Old Testament and try to live our life from the old covenant, we will miss everything that God provided for in the new covenant. So we have to get this right. And the same thing is true. We have to get this right in terms of how we thank God in all things. Romans 8.28 gives some clarity and gives a clue. This is a famous scripture. I'm sure you've heard it. It says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Like we've all heard that scripture. But we condense that because we all have Facebook theology, right? We don't think these things through or read, Bible, read the Bible in context. We'll look at this scripture and say, God, God takes bad things and make them work for good. Yes, and that's true. 
but it clarifies how he does that. Does he do that for everybody? And the answer is no. How does he, who does he do it for? All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. That clarifies. God will work out scenarios in your life. But if you, are, if you hate God, if you are selfish, if you're arrogant, if you just say, I don't believe there's a God, and then your life turn, takes a turn for the worse, and you're like, you know, I just expect all things to work out. Can I just tell you they're not going to work out? They're just not. Because once sin, the Bible says once sin enters, what it does is it begins to, to cause death. Now, we're, if, we're, if we're not believers, the Bible says that we are dead in our trespasses. That means our spirits are not alive. Our body, our soul, our mind, will, emotions, all that's alive. But our spirits are dead. And the Bible says even if, we're, if we begin to lean into sin, even as a believer, sin will have its consequences. Right? I, I, I can't tell you how many stories we have. One in particular is interesting. Um, young, young girls who end up getting out and sowing their wild oats. Young boys who get out and sow their wild oats from youth group. And then, you know, they have relations and something happens. And they're like, oh, I, how can God punish me like this? I'm like, I'm pretty sure somebody told you about the birds and the bees. And this is how that works. Like, once certain things start processing, that's how they kind of end up right? It doesn't mean that God can't make good come out of something that we've done in a broken or, or, or a messed up way. But if you want to see the good come out, part of what has to happen is you have to lean into loving God and trusting him going, Lord, I want to do it your way, not my own way. Move away from um, selfishness. The other thing is God's after an eternal um, scenario, not a temporary one. So, so often we say, God, I want you to work all this out and I want everything to work out here in this world. And so without thinking about it, what we do is we begin to lose our view of eternity. And we begin to think that if God doesn't work out everything within a certain time frame of my life, somehow he has failed me. But that's not true because look at Jesus. Jesus said he's, three times, he's praying in the garden, Father, if this cup can pass from me, if there's any other way to, to solve the problem of sin, to complete everything, if there's any other way, I'm not real keen on going to the cross. Like, right? I mean, we read that. So he prays it three times. There's a reason why he prays it three times. Why? Did you not think that he knew that there was any other option? The answer is yes, but the, our bodies, our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions push back so often, often against obedience to God because we know what it'll cost us in the short run. But what Scripture says... For the joy set before him, Jesus, he didn't enjoy the cross. That's sick, <laughs> right? People who enjoy pain, they need to see a psychologist. That's just how that works. That's not what it says. It says he endured the cross. Why? Because there was a joy that happened on the other side of it. What was that? You and I become free. All of our sin gets paid for, and we can walk again in the cool of the day with our God as a friend. It's a powerful, powerful understanding. So it says, um, cooperate together is another version. It says, he'll make all things work together for good. He will cooperate with us as we love him and as we lean into his purposes. All those things begin to work out because the enemy is not stronger than God. There is no such thing as yin and yang. I studied that when I was in martial arts. There's no yin and yang. There's not good and bad. There's not, you know, evil and good are on some kind of, and you know, and if you lean into good, no, no, no. God is the creator. Everything else is created. But there's, there's a plan. 
There's a plan that God started. You can read it in the very beginning of the book of Genesis. The Bible says he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. There was a friendship that he had with humanity. He made humanity so that we could be in a relationship with him. And we screwed it up in sin. We understand all these concepts. Jesus comes in another garden. They fail in a garden. Jesus comes in another garden. And he is obedient even unto death on death on the cross. And because of that, he restored everything that was lost in that first garden. God's intention is not to talk to you about sin all the time. His intention is to deal with sin once and for all, get it out of the way so he can have a relationship with you. We talked about this last week. If I just... If I, if I just in the commandments, if I just go, thou shalt not commit adultery. You know, this is how you do it. Don't commit adultery. Don't commit adultery. Don't commit adultery. And just think about it all day long. Guess what you're thinking about? <laughs> but I have to say, you know what? If I just love my wife with everything that's in me, the chances of me having an affair are, are slim to none. But if I think, if I talk about what I shouldn't do, that becomes my focus and it's dangerous. This is why Thanksgiving is so powerful. So let me give you an example of thanking God in something rather than for it. Um, some of you guys know who Corey Ten Boom was. She, um, she's a famous author. She lived through um, the Holocaust. She protected. Eventually, they, sent her, sent, they caught her and put her in concentration camp. So she tells a story about her sister. Her sister was a godly woman, and she challenged Corey Ten Boom all the time because Corey was very practical. And so she said, we have to thank God for everything. We have to thank God in everything. Not for everything, but in everything. And so Corey Ten Boom was like, how in the world we do that in the circumstances are you not aware? And one of the biggest problems was, they, she said, that there, there, were, there were fleas in the barracks. And she said, and the fleas just would eat them up all the time. And it was difficult to sleep. It was just horrible. It was the kind of suffering that's hard to imagine. Even in the moments when you were, if you could just go to sleep, you couldn't do that because of the fleas. And her sister said, we should thank God for the fleas. And she's like, no, I refuse to do that. I'm not thanking God for fleas, right? And so she said, she, but she recognized that her sister was right. So she's trying to be obedient. So she said, Lord, I'm, I'm thanking you. I, I don't understand why you have fleas in here or allowed this. I, I, I don't understand it, but I'm thanking you in the circumstance. I know suffering is not, this is not just, you're, you're not just trying to build something in me, although you can use it to build something in me. Fleas are not necessarily good, but Lord, I'm, trying to, I'm struggling to figure out why. And she said, she looked later on, she recognized none of the guards ever came into the barracks. And so once they came into the barracks, these women came into the barracks, the guards would not come in and harass them. And they were able to do Bible studies and, and, and women came to Jesus left and right. They were, they were, they were getting people saved constantly. And, and some of them get saved and then literally the next day be killed or die. And so she said, she realized then that part of the benefit of the fleas was the guards wouldn't come in and they were able to have Bible studies and they, were, they wouldn't be harassed. And she said, I recognize that even what the enemy meant for evil, God was able to turn it around and make it work for good. Can I just say this? It's, it's helpful to understand this tension though. Because if, we, if, we, if we're not careful, we start thanking God for something the enemy is doing. Sickness is a case in point. There's, a, there's been a movement um, in the church for several years now. Um, it's called determinism. And, it, and the mindset behind it's simple. There's a whole bunch of, you know, uh, camps involved in this, Christian camps. Um, and, and the idea is that, that God is sovereign. And so because of that, everything that happens, he willed it. And the danger of that is, then why pray? Then why witness? Then why, why go after, you know, um, the, the intentions of God. Why not just 
you know, if, if God just pushed a VCR, I'm dating myself, God just pushed a VCR or the play button on, on YouTube, and it's just running its course and nothing you do matters, then the easiest thing to do is just to check out, right? I mean, just logically, why, if, if you're a believer and, you're, and heaven is secured for you, why stay here? And can I tell you, people fall for that lie on a regular basis. Christians commit suicide and, and take away the joy of, their, of, of what their family wanted to grow old with them. And they give all kinds of reasons. But at the end of the day, it's a cop out. But it's easy to understand why when there's a mindset that says, you know, that God gave you cancer. Literally, there's, there's a famous preacher, if I told you his name, you would know exactly who I'm talking about, who wrote a book, and in his book, and he says this online, he says it in, in his sermons, that God, don't waste your cancer, is how he uses it. And he says, if God gave you cancer, then he's, he's going to work something good out in you. And I look at that and go, do you do that to your kids? If, you know, if you being evil <laughs> give good gifts to your kids, how much more does God give cancer to those who love him? See how stupid that is? It's just, it's, it's asinine. There's no other way to put it. But people lean into this, and so they don't hold the tension of God ultimately is going to get his way. Because God is all-powerful, and nothing is going to overwhelm. All sovereign means is the king reigns in his own kingdom. That's all sovereign means. He can do what he wants in his own kingdom. The good news is he's all good. Does that mean that, that cancer doesn't come to Christians? You know, if you're a good Christian, your sickness is never going to come on you. You're never going to have lack. There's no, no, of course not. There's an enemy of your soul, the Bible says. The Bible says it this way. There's, a, there's an enemy who he, he walks about like a roaring lion. He's not one, but he's like one. And he's seeking whom he may devour. He is looking for permission to devour you as a believer. If you're not a believer, he's devouring you anyway. But he's looking to devour you. How does he do it? You don't know like you ought to know. You don't know scripture. You don't know the character and the nature of God. So the enemy, and he literally does this in the church, and whole aspects of the church avoid the gifts and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. They avoid the power of God. They avoid healing because somebody they know got sick and they passed away. Well, I don't know if you know this, but turns out statistically, 10 out of 10 people are going to die. <laughs> right? So it's a math problem. It's not hard. But why? Because sin entered in, and when sin entered in, death came. And the Bible says death is going to come to us all. But something Jesus came to fix that was he's going to, he's going to fix one day the problem of temporary death. But on the cross, he finished the work for all spiritual death. And so the Bible says one day this, this corruption, this brokenness that's inside of my physical body, because scientists do not understand how in the world our body degrades. Because it literally reproduces itself at a cellular level all the time. It just reproduces itself with some little broken mutation that, keeps, that basically forces us to grow old and eventually die, no matter how old we get. We can be healthy until we die, but at some point. Why? Because sin entered in at a cellular level. It's a weird thing, but it's true. And one day God is going to fix all of that. But until he does... We have to be careful not to enter into agreement with what the enemy's doing. I'm not thanking God for what the enemy's doing. I'm thanking God that he can break through. He can push back. He's given me authority to push back against what what's the enemy's doing. He's made me a son. He's made me a prince in the kingdom. And he's given me authority and he's given me power. But if I don't know to use it, I never will. And the enemy will continue to take advantage of me as if I'm a Christian toddler. Amen?
Hard to hear, but it's true. So it can be difficult to find reasons to be thankful when the world and the enemy is coming against us in so many ways, struggling with, with uh, money, struggling with sickness, str- struggling with health, struggling with relationships. All those things are, are there. But what happens is when you begin to thank God, something begins to happen. When you begin to thank God for what he's working in and even in the brokenness and even in the hurt, he begin, you begin to see him do more of what you are thanking him for, right? So here's something that's really interesting. I came across this uh, interesting perspective on thankfulness on a website is from a world uh, worldly philosophy page Uh, it was an article entitled grateful to no one that gives you a clue of (laughs) where this article is coming from it's written by some nuthead on the internet anyway it's what he said gratitude generally requires a benefactor to whom i can be grateful while gratefulness is a general feeling that does not require an object so his whole article took that as a precedent, and in whole article, he was defending the fact that he, ha- he did not have to be grateful to anyone. He could just be grateful. And I'm like, I am amazed at how dumb smart people can be. I really am. Because you look at that and go, really? <laughs> really? He philosophized himself into not needing a God to say thanks to, right? Who do you say thank to? When you're an atheist and something amazing happens, who do you thank? Right? If they even put this in history, you know, where there's a, an attempt to rewrite history, and you see this um, in the pilgrims. You see it, I mean, it just pops up all over the place now. But the pilgrims, they, they said, well, you know, they didn't really thank God. That, we kind of got that wrong. What thank, the original Thanksgiving was all about is they thanked the Indians for help in harvest. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm pretty sure they said thanks to the Indians for helping with the harvest and with corn and learning. I mean, I, I guarantee you they were thankful. But that's not what Thanksgiving was about right? I mean, think about it. This is the first Thanksgiving was in 1621. They spent 66 days getting across the Atlantic, land there, go through an incredibly hard winter, and and through the help of the Indians and through God's providence and his grace and his kindness, they managed to come out of that, that winter and go into a harvest. And when they had that first harvest, they knew who to thank. Amen? So that's the, that's the challenge is we forget that thankfulness actually requires an object. If you are just in a sense of thankfulness, that's wonderful. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> but it's not biblical. Biblical is there, is there is an object to thank or a person to thank. Why? Because there is a source. And it's not just a source. He is the source. So I talked about earlier about some benefits for being thankful or being grateful. I'm just going to give you four real quick. Gratitude glorifies God. Learning how to be intentionally thankful glorifies God. This alone would be plenty of reason to give thanks to God. But here's why you do that. When you, when you glorify God, when you're thankful to God, you're, you're saying, God, thank you for your gifts. There's nothing wrong with the gifts. I love the gifts. The gifts are amazing in a million different ways. But the gifts come because there's a giver. So it makes it easy to glorify God in, in gratitude. Secondly, gratitude brings peace. I read this a little bit earlier, Philippians 4, 6, 7, this concept. Do not be anxious about anything. That fearful looking at the world, how is this going to work out? Fear is not my future. We're saying that. Why? Because the enemy is trying to tell you what your future is, and it's without God. So Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, which is asking, with thanksgiving. Lord, thank you that you are the God who provides me. Thank you, thank you, Lord, that you are good. 
And if we, if we get that mixed up in our head and begin to think about God as the enemy, we will never thank him. We will never be in relationship with him because we don't position him. We don't, we don't understand who he is. So we have to be careful with that. It goes on, it says, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He said, if you do these things, if you are not anxious, but in every situation by prayer, in other words, talking to God, by petition, asking God, but doing it with thanksgiving. Not as a, you know, as a child, not as a, as a little baby. We, we had a friend, he had, it was a little boy, and, uh, and he, he liked to eat. And I was over at their house one time, they had four kids, and I was over at their house one time at lunch, and he came in, they, they called him in for lunch, and they were having hot dogs, and he came in and sat down at the table and hit his hands on the table and says, where's my hot dog? It did not go well for that little boy, let me just tell you. <laughs> they taught him a lesson about thankfulness and about where his hot dog came from, right? And so they made, him, they made him eat last. It was challenging. He was like super hungry, so it was tough on him. But it was helpful. So with Thanksgiving, something about with Thanksgiving allows God to bring peace, supernatural peace into your life. Another thing that happens is gratitude helps us see God. There's a beautiful, I've mentioned this before, there's a beautiful cycle in giving God thanks. The more we thank him, the more we see him working in and around us. Every good, this is uh, James 1.16, every good and perfect gift is from above. So if you're wondering who to thank at Thanksgiving, I can help you. <laughs> you can thank God. When we sit down, we pray over our food. The mindset has to be, Lord, I, I worked really hard to get this done, right? So if we're not careful, we go, look at what all I've done to provide for myself and for my family. And my question is, to you is, who gave you the health? Who gave you the strength? who allowed you to breathe the oxygen, who created the oxygen and your lungs so you could breathe, right? And the moment we get this concept, when we see this, there's a gratitude that begins to take over our heart, our heart and we begin to love God. And then we expect the good things of God to come to our life rather than always thinking that something bad is going to be happening because somehow we deserve the bad. If you don't understand grace, this is why it's so important to talk about not being anxious, to get in alignment with who God is, his character and his nature. Because if you don't understand grace, then you will constantly say, I don't deserve anything good. And the enemy will reinforce that on a regular basis until you expect nothing good. But if you believe that God's goodness and his kindness is a gift to you, and it's not based on your behavior, you accept Christ. You say, Lord, thank you for what you did on my behalf. And now all of my sin was transferred to Jesus. All of it. For all time, he took it upon himself on the cross. There's no more judgment left for me if I accept what Jesus did for me on the cross. And then there's a great exchange that every bit of favor, every bit of goodness that comes it came to Jesus because he was a perfect, obedient son. Every bit of that is now mine to enjoy. And the truth is, I don't deserve it. But if I'm not careful, I get that stuck in my head, and the enemy takes advantage of it, and I begin to expect bad things instead of good things. Why is it there's something arrogant about somehow that I, I can't have what God says I can have? It's, it's, it's a wrong mindset. And when we understand it properly, what we begin to do is go, Lord, my expectation is your favor on my life. Not because I deserve it, but because you are so good. And it makes me thank him again and again. And it opens that door of relationship. And it, the intimacy begins to grow between me and God. Because I see him more and more accurately. And lastly, gratitude leads to joy. 
This is what we go after. There's an overflow of gratitude that is joy. Psalm 126 says says it this way. When the Lord restores the fortunes of Zion. So these people are coming back from the Hebrew exiles. When they're coming back from being exiled, they're singing these songs of, of thankfulness to God. And it says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, he gave us what he promised us he would give it. The enemy took us away, made us slaves destroyed. So many bad things happened, but that was not God's heart. That was something we did wrong. That was our sinfulness. But God in his kindness and his favor and his love for us brought us back to our homeland. It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongue, tongues with songs of joy. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with What I love about thankfulness is it creates a substance inside of us that the enemy cannot touch. There's a joy that exists even in the midst of sorrow, even in the midst of brokenness, even in the midst of all the world around us is fearful or angry or wars and rumors, whatever's going on. Something on the inside of us is different. Why? Because we know God for who he is. And when we thank him, we see more and more of what we're thanking him for. Something beautiful about that cycle. So let me close with this. There's a passage in Deuteronomy. It's a little bit lengthy, but it's worth reading. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of, of the old, uh, you know, the five uh, original books of the Bible, the Pentateuch it's called. And so this is a farewell address. Moses is talking to the people of Israel. He's not going into the promised land, but they are. He's going to be staying behind. <clears throat> and so it's a reminder. Like literally Deuteronomy is the, it's the Greek in the, uh, the Greek translation, it meant second law or a repetition of the law. He's repeating the, the, the reason why they should obey the law coming from the Old Covenant. So in the eighth chapter, he's telling them to be careful. He's reminding them again and again, be careful to observe all the commandments. Do, do life God's way. Why? Because if you do, blessing will come. If you don't, cursing will come. Life will be very, very difficult for you if you do that. And so he goes into it, Deuteronomy 8.10 He says, when you have eaten, so they're going into the promised land. They haven't gotten there yet. They're going in. He says, when you have eaten and are satisfied. If that's not a Thanksgiving scripture, I don't know what is. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Right? Beware that you don't forget the Lord. Your, your Lord your God, by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today, Otherwise, here's what's going to happen if you don't. When you've eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies. You see the plan of God? It's a good plan, not a bad one, right? When everything is multiplied, if you forget him, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord. If that's not a picture of the American dream, I don't know what it is. It used to be, traditionally, the American dream was God's blessing on us, us as a nation because we were a Christian nation and we sent more missionaries into the world than any other nation before. That used to be what was happening. And, and obviously, some of the challenges that happened, we have long given way to the value system of what create us, created us as a nation. And it's real, real easy to see. But what happens in nations and what happens in individuals who are in nations are not always the same thing. 
So understand there, there's a correlation, but it's not always the same. What God is saying is if you lean in and you remember to be thankful to what he's done, remember to love him, remember to do life his way, then something's going to happen. And it finishes up in Deuteronomy 8, 17, and it says this, another otherwise. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this well. You ever hear that? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, self-made man. These are phrases for a reason. And the danger is if we forget that every good thing comes down from our Heavenly Father. If we forget that, and if we forget to give Him thanks, what happens is this selfishness pervades our soul, and everything begins to relate to us and only us. And if we focus on God, something begins to happen. We focus on God, all the lies about us, whether they're positive lies or negative lies, begin to fall away. Why? Because he is the only one who gets to define who we are and how we're to live. He's the only one who can do it well. You can try to do it. You can try to do God's thing your way, and it's, gonna, it's not going to end in God's results. But if you do God's thing, God's way, you get God's results. That's the way this life is designed. He says, otherwise you'll say in your heart, my power, my strength has made me this well. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth. Every good thing, your intellect, your ideas, your thoughts, your, your love for your kids, every good thing has a source. And all thankfulness is, is just acknowledging the source and saying, God, thank you so much that your plan for me is a good plan. Your heart for me is a good, it's a good direction. You want to bless me, not curse me. Your intention was never the curses that came from the disobedience of, of disobeying the law. That was never your plan for my life. It was given so it could teach the people of Israel and therefore teach the rest of us in the entire world that you cannot do anything in and of yourself. If you are all about you, you are all you're ever going to get, and that is a depressing thought if I've ever had one, right? But if you make it about God, and you recognize he's the source, and you lean in, and you draw from that, he gets to define who you are, both positively, and, and again, if you come and say, God, I'm, I'm just a worm, I'm not, I don't care, and God's like, you're not a worm, I love you. Do you know what I did? Do you know what I had to do? Do you know the cost? Do you know the price I paid so that I could be friends with you again so your sin wouldn't be in a way? Don't talk to yourself that way. That self-talk, not helpful. But if you're arrogant and say, I have no need of God, God said, let me help you understand how wrong that really is, right? He's a good God, and even when we're disobedient, in his kindness, he directs us. His discipline, even then, is his kindness towards us. So let me just finish with this. This is the part that he, he ends with. He says, it is he, God, who is giving me the power to make wealth. And then he says why he does it, why he does all these good things. So that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And in Jesus, Jesus is the greatest reason to be thankful. Why? Because in Jesus, he didn't just confirm his covenant towards us. He fulfilled it. He finished it. It's complete, and it's on our behalf. So here's the thing. John 3, 16, we've heard this a million times. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That beginning recognition of what God has done for us, that he gave the greatest possible gift, that Jesus laid his own life down on our behalf. When we understand this, there's a relationship now that, that is connected to God that has nothing to do with punishment. Fear torments, the Bible says. Why? 
because it has to do with punishment. So if you are a believer this morning, if you have placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, that's not an arbitrarily uh, religious statement. It's a truth or it's not a truth. If you are in Christ, what that means is you know what he did for you on the cross. You understand it completely, that he paid for your sin, for my sin. It's, the greatest picture is those two sinners that, that, that were on either side of the, of, of the cross with Jesus. One of them looks and said, if you are the son of God, then do something for me and get me down off this, Christ, this cross, even though I completely deserve it, right? The arrogance, the lack of thankfulness, the lack of recognition of who Jesus was, it condemned him literally to hell. The other sinner, just as guilty, just as condemned, looks at Jesus and says, or first he looks at the other guy and he says, are you nuts? Do you not see who this man is? We deserve this. He does not. And he looks at Jesus and says right to him, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, will you remember me? Right? And Jesus said, today, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Here's something super helpful for this. That was an eternal perspective. I would love for that story to have ended that that guy got off the cross, started a Bible study, began a church plant, and then he became an apostle, and then he wrote a bunch of letters to churches that we read, and we celebrate it that way. That's not what happened. That day, he died a temporary death. But he lived an eternal life. Eternal. His mindset wasn't on just getting off the cross, getting out of the circumstances. He recognized the circumstances in many ways. He caused them himself. He got that. And there are times when Jesus rescues us even from consequences we brought on ourselves, why? Because we deserve it? No, but because of his goodness and because of his kindness, that's what he does. It's helpful to remember that that guy who died on the cross, who Jesus said, today you're going to be in heaven with me, never did a Bible study, never read any more scripture, never, uh, never gave to missions. He never did one good thing. The good thing he did was recognizing Jesus and his goodness. And that is what brought God's favor and everlasting life into him. And that's what I want to challenge us with. If you are recognizing the circumstances of your life, whether you've caused some of those because of your own foolishness or arrogance or whatever, then I get that. But Jesus is in the, is in the business of redeeming all things. It's what he wants to do. Some circumstances, God's gonna, you're going to have to thank him in the circumstances and watch his goodness make a way where there seemed to be no way. That's the beauty of who God is. But you don't get to determine that. What you do is you fall upon the mercy of God and say, God, I know I don't deserve anything good, but because of your great love for me, you have already done it and you have finished it for once and for all. So now I can lean in and go, God, thank you for everything you've done. And also, Lord, now thank you for all the things you're going to do, not to glorify me, but to glorify yourself in me. Amen? Would you stand? I want to pray a, a prayer of thanksgiving. And so I just want to challenge us this morning. If you would, think about the circumstances you're in. If it's a, if it's a bunch of good circumstances, boy, that, that becomes easy <laughs> to say thanks to, to God for that. Um, if you're in some tough circumstances that you're not sure how God's going to work that out, you have to trust that his goodness is far beyond our understanding, right? How he works those things out, sometimes it blows my mind. I'm not smart enough to understand it, but I am smart enough to trust it. Amen? 
So if you will, if you've got some challenging circumstances, thank God this morning in your circumstances. If you've got you know, some, some wonderful things happening, thank God for the things that he does that's good. Amen? So Jesus, first of all, we just say thank you for the cross. Lord, thank you that your great love for us, Lord, you were willing to come. You knew what was at stake. And Lord, you obeyed um, to the point of death, and Scripture says even death on the cross. Not because you cared about the cross, Lord, but you cared about what was on the other side of it. Lord, and we were the ones on the other side of it. That your great love for me, Lord, makes me love you. You loved us first, so it makes us easy to love you back. And so, Lord, we just say thank you, even in the circumstances, the challenges in our world right now. Lord, um, Lord, if we can, even being thankful when we see fleas, even though we don't understand how fleas might be helpful. Lord, whatever those circumstances are, Lord, we're thankful in every circumstance, not necessarily for it. But Lord, we also can clearly see your goodness and the kindness in your life, the love of family, Lord, your provision in ways we didn't see. Lord, the, the growth that you've brought. Lord, relationships that you've given us, Lord, that we clearly haven't deserved. Lord, we look at that and go, it's your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repent, to think a new way about who you are and your relationship and what you desire in me. So, Lord, I just say thank you. Thank you this week for all your provision, Lord. Thank you as we eat and we're fully satisfied that we remember you. And we help other people too as well. Lord, we don't want to be religious. We want to be authentic. And so, Jesus, we say thank you in your name. Amen. Thanks so much, David. Um, this week, you guys, just um, as we're kind of like going into the new year, we're going to be doing testimonies. Just look at this past year of what the Lord has done and who he's been for you. Um, and start making a thankful list of what you're, you know, the, the testimony and the thankfulness of um, what just this last year has looked like. I'm not saying that hard things haven't been there. They have been. But... Um, there are things to be thankful for from this last year. Um, this morning we spent some time praying as um, just a team together for the morning. And um, we have some words of knowledge or some words that will come up on the screen. If those are some things that resonate with you, with anyone, I'm going to ask our ministry team to go ahead and come up. Um, we would love to pray with you. If there's something that's not on the screen and you would like for us to pray for you, we would love to pray for you as well. And um, we hope you have a great week. We hope that you have a Thanksgiving that is full of peace, that is full of comfort, if that's what you need this holiday season, and that more than anything else, you would know that you're not alone, that God is with you and he is for you in this season. And we just bless you guys, and we will see you next Sunday.